Hey y'all, welcome back to Where Oppression Me Psychology by your girl E-Money. And in today's episode, our topic is another Dandridge story. Thank you for tuning in and welcome back. Okay, as I mentioned, today's episode is called Another Dandridge Story, but not the Dandridge we all know and love. Today we'll be talking about the unfortunate events that happened in the life of Harolyn Dandridge, who was the daughter of the infamous actress, singer, and performer, Dorothy Dandridge. So Harolyn Suzanne Nicholas, she was named after her mother, Dorothy, and her father, Harold. Harolyn was born on September 2nd, 1943, after her mother had a really difficult birth, though. And in the autobiography written by Dorothy Dandridge and Earl Conrad called Everything and Nothing, Dorothy writes about some parts of Harolyn's life, which actually ended up being kind of tragic. So let's have a little story time so you all can get to know a little bit about Harolyn. Carolyn's parents, they never really had a healthy marriage to begin with. And th- their, their marriage is just illustrated by the events that led up to Harolyn's birth. All day, Dorothy had been feeling contractions and felt it was time to go to the hospital. But Harold, her husband, the father of her child, refused. Yes, he refused to take her. And can you guess why? guess you can't guess it he refused because he wanted to go golfing with his buddies so he decided to be semi-responsible and drop Dorothy off at her brother's and sister-in-law's house and although Dorothy knew that she should be going to the hospital she believed that Harold should and would come so she waited all day on his return but of course He never did. So by the time they got there, there was complications with the birth and the doctors had to use forceps to remove heroin. And it is even said that these forceps were so intense that heroin had the indentation of the forceps on her head for weeks after her birth. Despite the difficult birth and despite Harold's absence, Dorothy still showered heroin with love. And Harold was absent, yes, because basically it's established. Harold was for the streets, okay? Okay. So Dorothy continued to be a good mother. And for the first two years of Harold's life, she was developmentally on track according to her ecological system. Harold be, has been described as having an intelligent face, good locomotor responses such as standing and walking. She was also very responsive to hygienic training such as bathing and brushing her teeth. She ate properly with the appropriate utensils and she would also exhibit joy as evidenced by laughter at appropriate commercial jingles and sadness as evidenced by crying in response to appropriate stimuli. In Dorothy Dandridge's autobiography, she described Harolyn as being very clean, even maybe abnormally clean for her age. When she got through in the toilet, she lifted the seat, 
put the toilet tissue back into the water and wiped all around the bowl to make sure she didn't leave anything. Sometimes she did require extra instruction and she applied tissue to herself until you would stop her. But still, everything seemed developmentally normal according to her ecological system. That is up until the age of two and a half when she couldn't speak at all. She would just make verbal noises. So at this point, Dorothy was extremely concerned over her daughter's limited speech. She took her all over to see specialists, doctors and psychologists, in hospitals and schools. And at one point, Harolyn was even given an EEG, but it didn't show any abnormal brain functioning. So this did not satisfy Dorothy. She continued to take her to see specialists and Harolyn was tested and assessed several times, although what she was assessed on and tested for remains unknown. At that time, parents and relatives weren't allowed to be present. And as I previously mentioned, Harolyn couldn't speak. Her primary means of communication were crying and screaming. So no one truly knows what Harolyn has seen or experienced as a result of her diagnoses. So Dorothy needed assistance and help caring for Harolyn because of her increased needs and challenges. So Lynn was placed in a school for disturbed and difficult children. There, she learned a scale on a piano, and that's all she learned from that facility, and that's all she did every single day. No one took the time to care for her and try to teach her more and to assess what she could learn Everyone just kind of minimally took care of her to where she was occupied and went about their merry way. But again, this did not satisfy Dorothy. She wanted more for her child. So later, by the recommendation of a physician, she was Dorothy was given acid to give to heroin. And this was to stimulate her brain, supposedly. But it ended up just making her nervous and affecting her appetite in a negative way. There was no improvement in Harolyn's speech or behavior. Real shocking, right? Giving acid to a child and no improvement in their behavior. But still, again, this was not satisfactory for Dorothy. So later, after EEGs became more developed, she decided to take Harolyn in for another evaluation. This time, they found that there was scar tissue on the right side of the brain near the speech center, which they said contributed to Harolyn's ability or lack of ability to speak. So the doctors actually suggested drilling three holes in her skull and that method that was suggested supposedly in that time was supposed to help with mental diseases and seizures and stuff like that. Thank goodness, Dorothy declined and was later told by another physician that this was actually just a mercy killing. They didn't expect positive results and the doctors knew that there wasn't going to be an improved outcome. Y'all, Dorothy was a good mom, okay? This still wasn't enough for her, especially in that time. She was not happy with the results she was hearing. So she went and found one more physician. And she went to that physician, and the physician told her, I cannot help your child. Nobody can. She told her that the test from the previous psychologist meant that heroin would never do well in school. She would never progress past the development of a six-year-old and that Dorothy should give her up and get rid of her. 
This was difficult for Dorothy to hear, but she had initially came to the physician and said, please be honest with me. Tell me what's going on. I've been getting the runaround. So this information led Dorothy to believe that heroin was hopeless. And so at this point, she did the best she could and she left her in the care of someone who was good with quote unquote backwards children. Lynn was perceived to be hopeless by many people. Interestingly though, when she got her period at a young age, she managed it fairly well. Although there were complaints that she would go through several boxes of pads, still Lynn would change her pad by herself at any drop of blood she saw. Despite Lynn's efforts and observable behaviors, unfortunately, Lynn was still forcibly sterilized at the age of 13. This was court approved and her mother Dorothy made sense of it by saying she was fearful of her being taken advantage of due to her disability. At this point, Dorothy struggled to cope with the emotional aspect of having a child with a disability. It can be very difficult. So she placed Lynn with a caregiver and Lynn stayed with that caregiver for years until Dorothy filed for bankruptcy at an older age. And at that point, Lynn had to be returned to her care. Throughout the years, Lynn's behavior was challenging, but she was often placed in the care of people who couldn't handle her and didn't know how to instruct her. And as a result, she was labeled as dangerous because of her erratic behavior. So that had to be said because during that time, individuals who were labeled as retarded had to be judged and cared for based upon how the state deemed adequate. The courts deemed heroin to be a danger to herself and she was placed in a state mental hospital called Camarilla. It is reported in some spaces that heroin died in 2003 at that very same facility but no one really knows unfortunately so that's heroin's life as we know it Um, but it's still disturbing to know that it could have played out differently had it not been for the history of psychology Intelligence tests were initially designed to measure how children will succeed in school. But after years of research, we now know that the constructs of intelligence tests are culturally biased and cannot be predictive of the full capacity of cognitive abilities. Cognitive abilities are influenced by the environment, instruction, a sense of self-efficacy, reinforcements, and encouragement. But back then, psychologists and physicians were viewed as experts of the term feeble-mindedness, which is interchangeable with the term mental defect. And these experts dictated the interventions based upon these test results. Tests should not be used as labels in supporting evidence for the decisions regarding the well-being of people with intellectual disabilities. Y'all, IQ tests are rooted in something called eugenics, which is really just a scientific way of saying racism. And throughout history, more minorities were labeled as feeble-minded at unprecedented rates because of a host of reasons, including test bias and examiner bias. At that time, unfavorable results, unfavorable test results meant that you were essentially a problem that needed to be dealt with by the state. 
Lower scores influence classifications such as idiot, imbecile, and moron. And as we can see with heroin, these labels can lead to state decisions regarding compulsory sterilization on the grounds of being unfit and for the protection and health of the state. Heroin was only found to be dangerous because psychologists and law officials believed all feeble-minded people are potential criminals. The state of California, where Harlan was born and raised, is also known for immoral and unethical practices as it relates to testing African-Americans. This can also be seen in the case of Larry P, where African-American students were placed into educable, mentally retarded, also known as EMR programs, because of a racial bias for special education placement. Because of this, African-Americans still today are banned from receiving intelligence tests, which is oppressive in itself. It is my professional opinion as a doctoral trainee that we need to place more of an emphasis on interventions instead of the diagnosis itself. Throughout history, the field of psychology has stigmatized results of IQ tests. But referring to Harolyn, if professionals had given more thought to her presentation with reference to her ecological system, her acquired learning and cognitive abilities might have looked different throughout her life. Instead, they used her test results as a prediction of her functioning throughout life. Harolyn could sit, eat, walk, respond after listening, and even play the piano. However, her diagnosis was equated with hopelessness and uselessness. So, people never took the time to give her the extra instruction she needed and quite frankly deserved. There are thousands of cases similar to heroin's that are still occurring in 2020. But the fact that this is still happening in 2020 just shows that we have so much more work to do as an evolving field. So I hope that this was educational. I hope that this also expanded your concept and perceptions of what an intellectual disability means to you. And it is also my hope that as a society, we stop equating current cognitive functioning with cognitive abilities and capabilities. But thank you guys so much for tuning in, y'all. I hope to see y'all at the next episode. And thanks for joining Where Oppression Meets Psychology.